through Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to start preaching. Um, we are going, we're kind of transitioning here to Paul talking about being heirs of the promise. Because in the chapter 3, Paul ended by saying, and you are Christ's, you are Jesus's, right? Then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So let's talk about this because we're going to see this word pop up a lot this morning. What's an heir? You get, you get stuff. Mike said you get stuff. Okay, we'll go with that. Um, let's expound on it a little bit, okay? Um, it's a person legally entitled to the property or rank, that's important, of, a, uh, of, a, uh, of another on the, on the account of that person's death, okay? So a person legally entitled to the property or rank of another. So, so when, when, when Paul writes to the church of Galatia, it says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise, right? That means that we get to take part in the promise, right? And that's what Paul's going to be talking about this morning. So if you have your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, and uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7. We're going to talk about a couple points, and then we're going to look at verses 8 through 20. And talk about a couple more points, and then I've got three application points for you. And so by 3, 3.30, we should be out of here. Sound good? All right, good. We're going to try to run through this. A lot of the first part, i got to tell you, i got to tell you, a lot of the first part is going to be more informational. And then at the end, we're going to get more applicational. Got that? All right, that's a new word for you. Uh, don't Google that one. It's not there. All right, we'll look at Galatians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Now, time out. One of the things we've got to address here, right, is, is remember that Paul is writing this to the church of Galatia as a letter, right? Much later came the chapter numbers and the verse numbers and the breaks and all of those different things. And so as Paul is writing this, he's just continuing his thought from the end of chapter 3 where he says, if you're Abraham's offspring, right, then you're an heir according to the promise. And so then in, in chapter 4, if you just read chapter 4 and you just pick up in verse 1 of chapter 4 and says, I mean that the heir, right, then you're kind of lost, right? You're kind of lost and it's a little out of context, okay? And so what he's doing is he's explaining his last point from chapter 3. He's kind of going back and referring to that, okay? Get it? Good, okay. Y'all are on it this morning, okay? He is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father, okay? We're, this is going to be fun. We're going to explain that in just a little bit, okay? Verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Underline that, star that. That's going to be majorly important when we get to that in just a little bit in the applicational points. Okay, and then verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, amen, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Okay, so there's a couple things that I want to point out to you here, all right? First of all, I'm going to go back to our definition of the gospel, okay? So we're going to throw that up there, the definition of the gospel. The gospel is the good news. Everybody say good news. Good news. 
that Jesus died for our sins and rose. Everybody say rose. Because that's some good news, right? Because if he's still in the grave, then there's not the hope that we sing about, that we claim, and that we preach about time and time again. And rose from the dead so that through faith, everybody say faith, faith. in him, we can be made right with God and enjoy. Everybody say enjoy. Life with him forever. Now, y'all did good at good news, but y'all kind of fell off there uh, at the enjoy, okay? All right, so we got, we got to pick it back up, all right? It's the good news, right, that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead so that through faith in him, we can be made right with God and enjoy life with him forever. So Paul, in this section, verses 1 through 20, he's really talking about two relationships, okay? Life is all about relationships, all about relationships, okay? Relationships with each other, relationships with God, relationships with our job, relationships with our responsibilities. Life is all about relationships. And Paul, in these 20 verses in Galatians chapter 4, is writing about relationships, specifically two relationships. And he starts with our relationship with God. Verses 1 through 7, what we just read here, our relationship with God. And what he's talking about here is sonship, okay? Sonship, heirs, right? That we are heirs according to the promise, okay? And so specifically, uh, and I know this is going to sound repetitive, Paul was a little repetitive in his writing. And so as we preach verse by verse, as we're going through a book, we can't skip over anything, right? And so uh, we get a little repetitive. But he starts here with our condition under the law in response to the fact that we're heirs according to the promise, Okay, rank and, and all those different things. And so look again at verses 1 through 3. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child of God, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. What's Paul talking about? So when a boy was a minor in the eyes of the law in this time, he might be the owner of a vast estate, but he couldn't make a legal decision yet. Okay, he was held under, uh, under guardians. Uh, the, the scripture says guardians and managers there until the date set by his father. He was not in control of his own life. Everything was done and directed for him, guardians and managers. Now, if you remember from last week in chapter three, Paul refers to the law as a guardian and manager, right? Useful in, in setting the bar, setting the standard for the life of a believer until, until, and this is huge for the rest of the book of Galatians, so make sure you grab this, until you reach the point of maturity where you can make decisions for yourself. Okay? And so that's the way the law was kind of treated, is that you're under this guardian, you're under this manager until a point in time when you grow up, right? Until you grow up. We were talking about it this morning, right? Um, it, it, you know, I know, I know as a parent, some of you um, more seasoned parents, right, uh, always come to me, right, and say, Oh, you're at the prime time in your parenthood. Don't blink. It goes by so fast. Just cherish these moments. <laughs> there are some moments right now I don't want to cherish. Right? I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with you. 
right? And I know, I know some of you are going to come up to me after the service and say, it's okay, pastor, it's going to get better, right? It's going to, you know, or, or what have you, right? But there's, there's some moments right now where, 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 where um, my teenager's lack of frontal lobe <laughs> is, is, is causing some real tension and stress in my life. And I'm not embracing and enjoying all of those moments. Okay? And so you can, you can come up to me, but don't tell me to be patient. Don't tell me to just wait. Don't tell me to just hold her tight and all those things. I know what I'm trying. Okay? Just pat me on the back and say it's going to be okay. Right? Just don't, don't tell me all the things that you want to tell me. Okay? Because sometimes I just need a little fist bump just to let, let me know that you're... You, you get it. Okay, let's move on, all right? I wasn't even planning on talking about that, right? But until the point, until the point where you grow up, right? Until maturity happens, okay? There's some safeguards, there's some boundaries that you put into your life, right? So that you don't fall back into those things post-Jesus, right? Once you give your life to Jesus, right? It would be like, um, it would be like somebody, it would be like taking somebody who, who has struggled with alcohol for years back to a bar two months after they're trying to be sober. That's not healthy. There's a season where you need to stay away, right? There's a season where you need to stay away. And you may never not, you may never be able to go back to some of the places you went back to. Because of, because of the things that those that that, that 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 stirs in you, right? And so that's what Paul is talking about here with the law. So let's talk about this even a little bit more. They would be in the position, this position, these sons and daughters, until the time appointed of the fathers. And so, see, there were three um, there were three societies in this time: Jewish, Greek, and Roman. Okay, Jewish, Greek, and Roman. Three societies. And all of them differed in kind of that age of maturity, right? And so all of the fathers that determined the time for their sons to be able to make decisions and take over and, and do all of those things where they, where they reached maturity, they were all different. They were all different ages. Okay, so let's talk about that because I found this pretty fascinating. In the Jewish society, there would be a ceremony of manhood, okay? So there would be a ceremony of manhood on the first Sabbath after the 12th birthday. So once you turned 12, in that ceremony, the father would have a prayer of dedication, the boy would recite some vows, and there was a clear mark, and overnight, he became a man. At 12. Sound like a good plan? Okay, y'all said it. I... In the Greek society, in the Greek society, a boy was under his father's care until he was 18. Okay, 18, all right? Then he was considered a cadet. Bellas, okay? Considered a cadet, ladies. We're going to get to you in just a second because I want to remind you of something. For two years, he was under the direction of the state, living in a dorm-like setting. And there again was a ceremony marking this, making the distinction, uh, making the distinct transition from childhood to manhood, right? So in Jewish, it was 12, okay? In Greek society, 18, but then you had a two-year two kind of training period where you were a cadet, and at 20, right, you, 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 you were able to make decisions, right? Just boom, 
right? Now, I want you to remember, because we're talking about sonship, and again, Paul, Paul really addresses that, but don't forget, in Galatians chapter 3, he says there's no longer male nor female. There's no longer slave nor free. There's no longer, you know, these distinctions, right? But in scripture, in this time, in this society, right, uh, uh, women were seen as commodity. And so, and so at ages five or six, a lot of them were sold and their futures were dictated, right? But then Jesus comes on the scene and takes women, takes girls from commodity to co-heirs, right? And so all of the benefits, when we talk about, when we talk about um, the co-heir in scripture, when we talk about all of the freedoms from the law, all of those things, when we talk about those things, right, women are, are included into this. But when Paul is addressing sonship, he's specifically talking about the boys here because they had all of those processes for manhood. Okay, got it? And so ladies, don't feel like you're being left out here. This is just historical and talking about how they dealt with boys becoming quote-unquote men at 12. Okay, got it? All right, so then, so, so then under Roman law, there was no fixed year when adulthood would kick in. 12, 20, 45? Am I right, parents, ladies? Okay, all right, there was, <laughs> sorry, that was a, okay. There was no fixed year. It was at the father's discretion. However, it appeared to be always, uh, in, in, the, in the research I did this week, always between the ages of 14 to 17, marked by a festival slash ceremony in which he changed togas. That could be fun. We should bring that back. No, we shouldn't. Okay, right? But there was a, there was a shift, right, where, 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 where what he wore was his clear transition to adulthood, okay? Or his clear transition to adulthood. That's what Paul's addressing here. When he says you are heirs of fathers, right, until the, until the right time, until the appropriate time that your father decided, right? But until that time, you were under a guardian or manager, right? You were under the control of someone else. You were not able to make decisions until that appropriate time, whether it's 12, whether it's 20, whether it's 14 to 17, whatever society you were under dictated that. And I find it interesting about the appropriate time, right? That, that, that one night, right, you're this, and the next morning you wake up and Boom, right? It just clicks. Now, now, now um, I, I, have, um, I, I, I have a friend in, in, in Alabama that runs a retreat up here uh, in New England every year. And, and um, he, he likes to go over the schedule with the retreat and tell people what's coming and all of that. So he'll be saying, you know, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And there's always a big feast, right? He calls it the preparation for the wedding supper of the Lamb, okay? And there's a big feast the last night of this retreat, and, and we all go, and a lot of times we dress up, and there's a theme, and yada, 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 and all, all this stuff, right? And, uh, and so he, he's telling all the events of the day, and then he says, and at the appropriate time, the buffet will be open. Now, me, being me, with my spiritual gift that, if you don't know me, is food, Okay, I want that appropriate time to always be earlier than it is. 
Okay? And so every time that, that Phil says it's the appropriate time the buffet will be open, I sit there like my kids when I tell another dad joke. <laughs> and I just sit there and roll my eyes as hard as I can possibly roll them. Because I want to dictate when that appropriate time is for me to enter the buffet. And then it gets even worse because you show up and you're in your costume, right? And, and you're there and some of you may have seen my, my costume from, from this past September. I had a mullet and some sweatbands and stuff like that. Uh, we, we won costume contest, by the way. We were one of like seven winners. It's one of those retreats where there's not really one winner. There has to be multiple winners because then everybody complains and everybody gets a trophy. Anyway. Anyway, so you're sitting there, right? And there's like, there's like 30 tables. And you're table number 18. And they start at number one. And then you sit back there and you're like, okay, the appropriate time has arrived. The buffet is open, but I still cannot access a plate. And it's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. What does that have to do with what Paul's talking about? What Paul is getting at here is maturity in the life of a believer. And I don't know about you, but I feel that we in the body of Christ struggle allowing people to reach maturity at the appropriate time in their life. One of two things always happens. Either we rush it, right? We think we are able to, to, to reach a, a, an age of maturity, a point of maturity within the body of Christ that we're not ready for, i.e. a couple that's been married for less than six months giving marriage counseling. Don't go, right? Uh, that one makes sense, right? Um, so either we like to rush it, we like to, 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 to um, speed that process up for ourselves. Why? Because we want, we want more, right? We want, we want the title. We want this. We want that. We want the responsibility. And really, if you dwindle all of those things down, it's probably, buckle your seatbelt, a control issue for you. That you want more maturity, you want more say, because you want to be in control. And let me tell you something just really quickly. In the, in the pastor's love that I have for you and the pastor's care that I have for you, if you are seeking that level of control within the body of Christ, you are never going to be pleased, Christian. Because there is one person that has control in the body of Christ and his name is Jesus. Can I preach this morning? And so if you're that type of person, right, that's just got to have this position, you've got to have this say, you've got to have this level of this, you've got to have that level of this, we may, we may need to look at that. Second area where we get that wrong, right, is we, is we as the church, right, this person's on fire, right, we need to get them up to preach, right, how long have they been a, a, a Jesus follower? Three days! Right? But, but hey, you know, don't, and, and we even quote the verse, Right? We even quote the verse, Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth. Right? But I've seen so many Christians that now struggle in the body of Christ because they were put someplace before the appropriate time. Because they were put someplace at the appropriate time. 
And so sometimes that over-eager guy that rolls his eyes about the appropriate time for the buffet just needs to be bumped down a few more tables so that he can learn patience because he just needs to know A, the food's never going to run out. They just keep bringing trays out and trays out and trays out and it's good. And the first tray you always want to be leery of anyway. Because it's been sitting there the longest. Right? Teach patience, discipline, all of those different things before the appropriate time. Isn't that interesting? So that's exactly what Paul's talking about here to the church of Galatia. Don't rush this. Don't rush this. There's a promise for you. There's an inheritance for you. You're an heir. Don't forget that. Don't lose sight of that. That's a beautiful thing. That's a sweet thing. But don't rush this. Don't rush this. When the fullness of time had come, when Jesus was born, everything was just right for his arrival. But I want you to see something here, right? People were spiritually hungry. Look at verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world. But, verse 4, right? I love when you see that transition in Scripture. But, when the fullness of time had come at the appropriate time, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The beauty of Jesus, who experienced the entire, the full weight of temptation that we experienced, yet remained without sin, right? Yet remained without sin. There was nothing new under the sun, as Solomon said. Jesus came and experienced everything that we experienced, yet remained without sin. He was born under the law to redeem those, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. So we talked first about our condition under the law, right? There, all of this in relation to our relationship with God. And then secondly, our position in Christ. So our condition is that we're under these guardians, these, these managers. We're slaves to the law. But then you get to our position in Christ. Notice Jesus, fully human, he experienced, born into our sinful world, kept the laws and traditions. However, he was also able to redeem us. So, so a few things I want to point out to you here. We are adopted into God's family. We're adopted into God's family. I don't know if you ever have, have met someone who has adopted someone into their family. Um, I was reading this story the other day. A new mother stayed with her parents for several days after the birth of their first child. One afternoon, she remarked to her mother that it was surprising that the baby had dark hair. Since both her... Is my, is my mic going? I don't know why. There it is. Oop, there it is. Okay. Um, where was I? Yep. One afternoon she remarked to her mother that it was surprising that the baby had dark hair since both her and her husband had brown, blonde hair. The grandmother said, well, your daddy has black hair. To which her daughter replied, but mama, that doesn't matter because I'm adopted. 
With an embarrassing smile, that mother said the most wonderful words her daughter had ever heard. I always forget that you're adopted. All Gentile Christians are adopted children of God who are accepted by God with the same unconditional love that this mother had for her daughter. Brought into the family. You are adopted into God's family. It's exactly what Paul talks about here. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent Jesus so that we might receive adoption as sons. Number two, as sons and daughters of God, we have the Spirit of God within us. We have the Spirit of God within us. Look at what, look at what Paul says there. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. Remember this, the, the, the Greek word for Holy Spirit, paraclete, right? He is helper, right? And so the Spirit is in us as helper, right? That's not a weird thing that we have to avoid talking about within the church, right? The, the, the fact that we get to have the Holy Spirit within, within, inside of us means that the presence of Jesus is with us constantly. Third thing I want to mention to you here, Abba Father, okay? Abba Father, right? Abba is a, it keeps going in and out. I blame Dylan. Okay. Abba Father. Uh, Abba is an Aramaic word meaning the most intimate word that you could say, okay? Uh, very intimate. When you say Abba, Father, right? It's like when that baby looks up at you for the first time and says, Daddy, Daddy. Which I'll mention this because Kristen is, is with Micah up north this morning at, at, a, at a field hockey tournament for the day. Um, all four of our kids said Daddy first. Okay. We can edit that out of this for this week, right? Right? But what a beautiful moment, right? What a beautiful moment when that child looks up at you, and 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 a couple of those might have been a stretch, okay? Because it was like dah, right? But I'm taking that was that was that that was you know, right? And that's an intimate thing, right? As a dad, as a mom, you remember that moment that your child looked at you, knew exactly who you were, and was able to call your name. Intimate moment, beautiful moment. Right? And that is exactly what Paul says here to the, to the church of Galatia. Because your sons, God has sent the Spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Mark 14, 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. That's Jesus talking to his Father, God. Uh, it, saying, remove this cup from me, right? And he, and he addresses God the Father, Abba, Father. And so as a result of Jesus, we have an intimate relationship with God the Father. And then the last thing I want to point out to you before we hit the uh, last section of text for this morning, we are heirs with him. We have full heirship. Romans 8, 17 says this, and if, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Once we are liberated by Jesus through faith, we're given all the privileges and blessings that any other child of God has. And, and church, can I tell you, that's grace. That's grace. 
Is anybody in here, uh, and you don't have to raise your hand, but just think about it. Has anybody in here ever received an inheritance? All right? What did you do to earn that? Nothing. Nothing. But Paul is clear here talking about by faith we receive this, right? By faith we receive this. Because you can receive an inheritance and do absolutely nothing with it. I was talking to a friend the other day, and, and he had just received an inheritance of land. And he, and he came to me like, what should I do with it? It's in Gorham. And I, and I was like, well, how many acres you got? <laughs> Three. Oh, I don't know. I don't really care. Oh, no, I'm just... <laughs> Right, right. But but he's like, what do I do with it? He's like, I could sell it. Right, now would be a good time to sell it. I could probably sell it for optimum value. Right, I could get. Right, he's like, I could put a house on it. I could probably put a couple houses on it. Right, I could start a compound for my family. Right, three acres. I could probably put like three houses on it. Right, maybe maybe a little more. Right, but 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 he he's sitting there with this this inheritance, trying to figure out what to do with it. Right? But he's got to be, he's got to go, right? He's got to make a decision to do something with that inheritance. Otherwise, it just sits there. Right? Otherwise, it just sits there. And so there is a, there's an application for him. There's a responsibility for him to be a good steward of that inheritance, right? To use it well, right? And to go on, and, 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 and you, you get the point. Okay. Now, verses 8 through 20. All right, verses 8 through 20. We spent a lot more time on that because Paul is setting up this section. Formerly, verse 8, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, that's huge. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now, here's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about now he's transitioning to our relationship with others. And Paul is giving yet another appeal here. Don't forget, he is so perplexed by these Christians, by this church, by these churches in Galatia who are so quickly turning back from the message that they've seen, right, from the Jesus that they've believed and trusted by faith to the guardians and managers that they were under before, right? Again, don't forget last week, the law is useful in its proper place. Jesus is first. And so what Paul is perplexed about these people, and he says, I may... He goes on to say, I may have even labored over you in vain is because they're putting the law above Jesus. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of, uh, of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first, and though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom... Who am, whom I am, again, in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now 
and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. And so Paul has, has, has again, right, almost, it, it's almost like he has had an epiphany and remembered why he's even writing the letter. Like he, like he, like he went down the road of gospel. He got back to, he, he, he got into uh, um, the heirship, right, and sons and daughters of God. And, and, and now it's like he's remembered how frustrated and how distraught he is over his brothers and sisters in Christ that are being fooled by these false teachers. Okay, that are trying to drag them back under the law. And so, and, and, I, and I love the end there just because we see Paul's, uh, Paul's heart for these people, right? I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone for I am perplexed about you. They knew, what we know is that the Galatian church knew that they did not deserve to be God's children. Right? Yet they didn't deserve to be in the family. They were striving to obey the calendar of events. They were, they were striving to do all of these things uh, in, in order to secure their salvation. They knew the truth, and yet they ignored it. James 1.22 says, But be doers of the word, and not just hearers, so deceiving yourselves. They were deceiving themselves. They were already God's children, yet they were living as orphans. And it broke Paul's heart. To see God's children, once he came alongside of and discipled and encouraged to live this way, trying to enslave themselves again, not living by God's gift of grace. And so he says, I may have labored over you in vain. Paul poured out his life over these churches. And now he's frustrated and disappointed Right? Like a parent of a wayward child. Paul's urging the Galatian Christians to be like him, free and satisfied in Jesus. And he does so by, look at verse 13. He does so, he does so by reminding them what he used to be. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you in, in the first place. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did, not, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? What's become of your gift? What's become of, the, what's become of this, this grace? And so when Paul came to them, when he came to the region, he didn't remain, right, flippant, but identified with them by adopting many of their own Gentile customs. And then... While he was with them, they didn't hassle him, but they responded to him with kindness and compassion. So much so, considering him an angel, right? That an angel of God received me as an angel of God. And he goes further to describe the past relationship Paul had with the Galatian Christians. For I bear you record, right? For I, for I testified to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. What's he saying? They would have done anything to meet his needs. They received Paul with joy, and now they had lost that joy. So here's the thing. Here's how we apply this section to our lives, our relationship with each other, right? They would have done anything to meet his needs, but now, since they've turned back to bondage under the law, their attitude towards Paul has shifted. Right? It's like night and day. It was as if they, they considered him as an enemy. 
And when Paul confronted the Galatian churches about their break from the true gospel, and again, he didn't, come, he didn't confront them softly. You foolish Galatians, right? You foolish Galatians, who's deceived you? That would, that would have been a big slam. Here we see nothing soft about his approach to them. I may have labored over you in vain. I wish I was with you. I'm perplexed about you. They became defensive. Christian unity was threatened because Paul had spoken the truth. Yet the same problem arises today when we speak the truth with each other, doesn't it? Churches split, friendships shatter, all because of someone who dared to tell the truth. All because someone dared to tell the truth. And it's hard. It's hard. Betrayal happens. People rip each other apart all because they dare to tell the truth. It doesn't have to be that way. Can I tell you something? Truth can heal relationships. It destroys them because of this little thing that we have in each and every one of us called pride. But if we take off our pride, clothe ourselves in humility, like Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, clothe ourselves in humility and compassion, this honors God and helps bring reconciliation. There, I was listening to something the other day. There's a whole ministry. There's a whole ministry down in uh, a little town called Nashville, Tennessee, um, where they're working with over 300 pastors in 50 states and six countries trying to reconcile the pastor back to the church. Not, not because of any failure or anything like that, just because there's a disagreement between the pastor and the church. Let me tell you something. Have we gotten that childish? To where we can't have healthy conversations where truth is told and heard and received? Now let me tell you something. We're going to end the service in the next couple hours. <laughs> and I'll be sitting up here. And there may be a hard truth that you're sitting there and you need to come up and say to me. That might not be the time. Sundays are weird for me. That's the best way to put it. And now that I'm only preaching one message a day, I'm even more exhausted than when I was preaching like three. It's weird. It's crazy. I can't explain it to you. Well, maybe there's more pressure on that. I don't know. You try to figure it out. I did. But again, don't have the conversation with me right after the message. Again, take me out to coffee where you're buying. And let's have a conversation. Invite me into your home. Right? The problem with most of the time when we try to tell the truth to each other is that we do it at the worst possible time imaginable. Where it can't be received. Right? Where it can't be received. We do this in marriage constantly. Right? I have a little card that I got when Kristen and I had been dating for two weeks. For two weeks. And I knew that I was going to marry her for four weeks uh, already. But we'd only been dating for 
too, that's a longer story, right? But I got this little card out of the back of this book, the 15 nevers of communication with your spouse. The 15 nevers of communication with your spouse. Because how many of your spouses know it's not necessarily what you say, but it's when you say it. One of my favorites is don't try to communicate when either one of you are overtired. Amen? Amen. Okay. Right? Or hungry. <laughs> I'm not sure that's on there, but if it's not, it should be number 16. Okay. You get the point, right? You get the point, right? But don't miss the challenge here. Paul, Paul and, and spoiler alert, right? Spoiler alert. Paul's message to the church at Galatia is received. We, we see that we see that later on, right? But 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 truth had to be told. Truth had to be told. And and I would have loved to have been there and seen the the, the, the churches in Galatia when they heard this letter for the first time. Hear that Paul was perplexed. Hear Paul hear that Paul was calling them foolish. Right? To hear all of the words that are here. To say, to say, what happened? Do you not remember the message of Jesus that has spoke to you? Do you not remember the moments that we shared? Do you not remember the camp bonfire? When we were singing Kumbaya at the end? Do you not remember those moments? Right? That when you look back on them, they seem just so silly and they seem, they seem ridiculous, but God was present right there in the midst of it? Do you not remember that? What has happened to you? What's happened? What's happened? You've forgotten. You've forgotten. And listen to me. As much or as bad as you may want to run across the aisle this morning and shake that person and just say, what in the world are you doing? Have you not forgotten? Have you not forgotten? There are people that I want to do that with. There are people that I want to do that with. There are people over the last 11 years that I've been in ministry, it feels like 11 days. <laughs> there are other people over the last 11 years of ministry where I've gone and told them the truth. They've betrayed the life out of me. They have been drained. And they've gone and they've moved on. And it hurts and it stinks. But let me tell you something, Christian. I know I'm going to spend heaven with them. I know I'm going to spend eternity with them. I trust that in Christ, I did what I had to do. And was faithful to what God asked me to do. Did I do it at the right time, in the right way? Maybe I made a mistake there. Right? But I've apologized for that. Hear me. Truth needs to be told. And truth needs to be received. Now, I like Paul. I told you I was going to get to the applicational points, okay? I like Paul. As I read this, okay, um, and, 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 I, and I don't want to dive in and explain a bunch of this, okay, but I'm perplexed about the church today because I feel like we're buying into three fake gospels that Paul's already addressed, but I want to wrap this message up, land the plane, and tie a bow on it with these three. Sound good? Okay. Number one. Number one. The fake gospel is about activity. The real gospel is about adoption. Now, we've already talked about all three of these, so they're going to be real easy to, 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 to summarize, okay? You can't earn it. 
You can't earn the good news of Jesus, that he died for you, that he rose from the grave for you so that you can have life. Right? I love John 20. Many other signs and wonders were written in this book that, are, that were done that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may have life and have it to the fullest. Go back to our definition of the gospel, that you may enjoy life with him forever. Jesus died, rose again, went to prepare a place for you so that you can enjoy life forever. Even the hard moments, even the moments when you want to throw into the towel, when you look back at those five years later and say, that's what God was doing in that five years ago. He was preparing me for this. That, that truth that I had to tell nine years ago prepared me and made me the pastor that I am today, like it or not. Okay? And so, and so, and so God uses, he never wastes an experience. But listen to me, Christian, let me set you free this morning. Hopefully, I'm perplexed over you, and I would love to set you free of this. It is not, the Christian life is not about your performance. It's not. You're in the fam. You're in the fam. You are in the family of God. You are a brother and sister in Christ. You are beloved sons and daughters. Heirs according to the promise. Doesn't matter. Your performance. It does not change your status as son or, or daughter. It does not change your son or daughter. In fact, I would argue that the more you are trying to earn and the more activity you're doing and the more performance-minded you are, you miss out on the love of Jesus so much. Now, please, and this is just my realness coming out, okay? That does not mean that you can go and resign, all of you, from the setup and teardown teams. <laughs> Saying that that activity is getting in the way. No, 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 you're missing the point. You're missing the point. We do that, right? At the right heart, okay? Not trying to earn our salvation. Let's look at the second one. Number two, the false gospel ends at salvation. This picks up perfectly. The false gospel ends at salvation. We've already talked about this really quickly. Um, I've spoken, I've spoken at a lot of camps. Um, Taking Camp 207, just for example, I counted them up a few weeks ago, but at Camp 207, I've spoke there for, I'm blanking now, five or six years. I told you I lost a year in there. I've spoke like five or six years con consecutively at Camp 207. And I counted them up the other day, and we have seen over 300 students, 6th through 12th grade, give their lives to Jesus at Camp 207 in the last five or six years. It's awesome. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable, right? You know my fear for, for those students is that their relationship with God stopped. They, they got their pass into heaven. And their life with Him stopped. See, we make much, we make much over the decision. We count them. Go to a pastor's conference with me sometime. It'll be one of the saddest things you've ever seen in your life. 
right? Because we don't know how to measure success within the body of Christ. And so all these guys are running around saying, how many people are you running? How many people you got coming to listen to you on a Sunday morning? How many salvations have you seen? How many baptisms have you seen? Because we have to quantify it with all these numbers, right? Because the fact that Matt Tibbetts has grown immensely in Christ over the last two years isn't enough for those guys for me to tell his story. The fact that, 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 that Brian and Judy are about to start a marriage ministry in 2022 at Summit Church, and we're going to see marriages healed and restored because nine marriages within a local company are now struggling and, 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 and going uh, uh, down, down a dark, dark road because of, and, and you know what everybody's saying? The mental effect of this pandemic has taken its toll on those people, right? And it's dark. And so I, you can't quantify that. You can't quantify Josh Backman standing behind the drums and just being so enamored and in awe of God as he worships. And that's not enough. And so it's all about the number of salvations. And we make much of those and not enough about the life with Christ. The second part of this one, the real gospel begins with salvation and continues to Holy Spirit transformation. Your story doesn't end at salvation. It just begins. Your story doesn't end in salvation, it just begins. It just begins. Um, the first assignment I ever had to do at Liberty University was write my testimony. I was like, this is easy. Couldn't be more than two pages. I thought this college thing is going to be a breeze, right? So I, I spent two pages talking about my life, and in the last sentence I said, I said how I gave my life to Christ. At ten, at 10 years old. First assignment. Man, we're getting real this morning. First college assignment, I failed. My own testimony. And I failed it. And so I went up to the professor. It wasn't even the professor. It was his assistant. Because anyway, that's a longer story. Right? And I was like, how did I fail? This is my testimony. He's like, you didn't read the instructions. I'm like, there's instructions on writing a testimony? He's like, duh. You're in college now, bro. And I went back and read the instructions, and, and it was basically explaining this point, right? Is that too often we over-glorify who we were and don't give enough glory to where he's brought us. Now, there's a message of grace that God saved you from where you were, Right? But we can't lose sight of what God's doing in our lives as a result. He let me redo it. I got an A. Okay, don't stress. I'm a collegiate graduate. It's legal. All right? It begins in salvation. And then number three, lastly, the faith gospel constantly works for acceptance. Back to activity. Constantly works for acceptance. The real gospel confidently works from inheritance. You are a child of God. If you are in Christ, you are a child of God. Let me tell you, there's this thing, and I think it's a new term, some of you can can tell me again, maybe not today, but later when you take me out for coffee. Um, 
There's this, there's this thing called doomsday gospel. Okay, doomsday gospel. Where, where, where a Christian just walks around with their head held low, right? Just sinking low. Because it's like, it's, it's like somebody has walked around and, and kicked their cat and just destroyed this person all week. And they walk into church on a Sunday morning. I just, I don't deserve, I don't deserve all of this. Yeah, you're right. But guess what? Jesus made you a son. Jesus made you a daughter. Right? And so you're right. You don't deserve it. But guess what? Jesus. Right? Jesus. That is why, that is why we, listen, listen, listen. And, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we shouldn't forget where we came from, where Jesus saved us from. Don't hear me that at all. Don't hear that from me at all. But, but what I am saying is we ought to be, we ought to be, and I've said this before, the most joy-filled people on the planet. Why? Because we didn't deserve it, but God adopted us as sons and daughters, and he did that by sending his son to do what he did, to live the life that he lived, to die the death that he uh, died to raise to life and go and prepare a place for us so that we could spend eternity with him and in that have hope for today, hope for yesterday, and hope for tomorrow. And so listen, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, have joy because you're adopted Amen. as sons and daughters. You are an heir according to the promise. And so we don't work for acceptance. We don't work for acceptance. We live out of inheritance. We live out of the inheritance that's promised to us. And so as the worship team comes this morning, I just want to ask you, and again, I know I've asked you this a couple times throughout this series, but the, the question stays the same for me. Who are you living for? Who are you living for? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Who are you living for? I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us in the room would probably say, you know what? I'm living for me. I'm living for this person. I'm living to make this person happy. I'm living to make this person happy. Right? Who are you living for? It's got to be Jesus. And so that's my challenge for us this morning. Thank you. I know there was a lot of information there. We tried to cover it as quickly as possible. And I got you out early. I told you it was going to be 3.30. It's only going to be 11.30, okay? But can I pray for you? God, I just pray. joy. God, I pray that we would not be like the Church of Galatia, stuck, confused, tossed to and fro by different ideals and by different teachings. But thank God for some of us who I've trusted you before, and God, that we would go back to the time, the moment that you saved us. God, that you would restore the joy of our salvation.
God, that we would see that in you we don't live for ourselves. And so, God, I pray that each one of us would examine where we are with you. And then as Paul does, that we would examine where we are with one another. How do we see your bride? So God, I pray that you stir our hearts with a passion for you and your word. In Jesus' name.